2 Nephi chapter 26. One of the difficulties of seeing a vision which sweeps across a couple of thousand years is the tendency to speak of it in terms of partial flashbacks. These often lack continuity since they treat history in huge chunks. This happens throughout this chapter. And after Christ shall have risen from the dead, he shall show himself unto you, my children and my beloved brethren, and the words which he shall speak unto you shall be the law which ye shall do. The first flashback is a sensational appearance of Christ on the American continent in 34 A.D. All of this is actually described in the latter part of 3rd Nephi. For behold, I say unto you, that I have beheld that many generations shall pass away, and there shall be great wars and contentions among my people. And after the Messiah shall come, there shall be signs given unto my people of his birth, and also of his death and resurrection. And great and terrible shall that day be unto the wicked, for they shall perish, and they perish because they cast out the prophets and the saints, and stone them and slay them. Wherefore the cry of the blood of the saints shall ascend up to God from the ground against them. These two verses appear to be referring to the circumstances in America just before Christ's crucifixion, when the believers among the Nephites were violently persecuted. Wherefore all those who are proud and that do wickedly, the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, for they shall be as stubble. And they that kill the prophets and the saints, the depths of the earth shall swallow them up, saith the Lord of hosts. And mountains shall cover them, and whirlwinds shall carry them away, and buildings shall fall upon them, and crush them to pieces, and grind them to powder. And they shall be visited with thunderings, and lightnings, and earthquakes, and all manner of destructions, for the fire of the anger of the Lord shall be kindled against them, and they shall be as stubble. And the day that cometh shall consume them, saith the Lord of hosts. O oh, the pain, and the anguish of my soul, for the loss of the slain of my people! For I, Nephi, have seen it, and it well nigh consumeth me before the presence of the Lord, but I must cry unto my God, Thy ways are just. But now comes the description of the obliteration of the wicked in America when the Savior was crucified in Jerusalem. There was a universal convulsion and total disruption of the terrain of the entire American continent. Some of the people were swallowed up in the gaping cavities that opened in the crust of the earth. Others were crushed or smothered to death under crumbling mountains that shifted from their foundations and swept down upon the multitudes in the valleys. In the cities on the plains, the people were crushed and killed by stone buildings as they collapsed and turned the streets into shambles. There was also the consuming lightning streaking down from heaven and volcanic fire belching up from the interior of the earth. Just the memory of the scenes which Nephi had beheld in this vision caused him to shudder with terrifying horror as he thought of it. But nevertheless, he knew people had rejected the appeal of their God and his prophets to repent and prepare for the Savior's ministry in the earth. 
What's happened to the wicked is what a loving God is required to do when it comes time for the administering of justice. But behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets, and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness for the signs which are given, notwithstanding all persecution, behold, they are they which shall not perish, but the Son of Righteousness shall appear unto them, and he shall heal them, and they shall have peace with him, until three generations shall have passed away, and many of the fourth generation shall have passed away in righteousness. But Nephi rejoices in the fact that the righteous who waited for the coming of Christ in America were rewarded when he came among them in 34 A.D. and allowed them to feel the scars of the wounds, both in his hands and his feet, and also in his side, so that they would know he was indeed the Son of God who made the atoning sacrifice. And when these things have passed away, a speedy destruction cometh unto my people. For notwithstanding the pains of my soul, I have seen it, Wherefore I know that it shall come to pass. And they sell themselves for naught, for for the reward of their pride and their foolishness they shall reap destruction. For because they yield unto the devil and choose works of darkness rather than light, therefore they must go down to hell. For the Spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. And when the Spirit ceaseth, to strive with man, then cometh speedy destruction, and this grieveth my soul. As Nephi reflected on the destruction of his people when Christ was crucified, it demonstrated that God cannot be mocked forever. When the Spirit of God is so offended that it ceases to endure them, then their destruction will soon follow. And as I spake concerning the convincing of the Jews, that Jesus is the very Christ. It must needs be that the Gentiles be convinced also that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, and that he manifesteth himself unto all those who believe in him by the power of the Holy Ghost, yea, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, working mighty miracles, signs, and wonders among the children of men according to their faith. Nevertheless, Nephi saw in his vision that those who believed in Christ not only had their patience rewarded when he appeared among them, but Nephi also saw in his vision that both Jews and Gentiles would have their visitation of Jesus Christ in due time if their faith endured. But behold, I prophesy unto you concerning the last days, concerning the days when the Lord God shall bring these things forth unto the children of men, after my seed and the seed of my brethren shall have dwindled in unbelief, and shall have been smitten by the Gentiles, yea, after the Lord God shall have camped against them round about, and shall have laid siege against them with a mount, and raised forts against them, and after they shall have been brought down low in the dust, even that they are not, Yet the words of the righteous shall be written, and the prayers of the faithful shall be heard, and all those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not be forgotten. Here Nephi is practically restating the words of Isaiah in chapter 29, 
where he talks about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, which will speak to Nephi's descendants like a voice out of the ground. For those who shall be destroyed shall speak unto them out of the ground, and their speech shall be low out of the dust, and their voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit. For the Lord God will give unto him power, that he may whisper concerning them even as it were out of the ground, and their speech shall whisper out of the dust. For thus saith the Lord God, They shall write the things which shall be done among them, and they shall be written and sealed up in a book, and those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not have them, for they seek to destroy the things of God. Wherefore, as those who have been destroyed have been destroyed speedily, and the multitude of their terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away, yea, thus saith the Lord God, it shall be at an instant suddenly, and it shall come to pass that those who have dwindled in unbelief shall be smitten by the hand of the Gentiles. Here Nephi is continuing his message of Isaiah, which was verified in Nephi's vision that his righteous descendants will record the principles of the gospel as they will practice them in their day. And this record will be buried in the ground until the latter days. But while the righteous Nephites are recording their scriptures, they will be earnestly praying that eventually this record will come forth. Nephi says that when it is revealed, it will emerge among the people suddenly and right while their descendants are being persecuted by the modern Gentiles. And the Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes, and have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block, that they have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God, and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning, that they may get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. And there are many churches built up which cause envyings and strifes and malice. And there are also secret combinations, even as in times of old, according to the combinations of the devil. For he is the foundation of all these things, yea, the foundation of murder and works of darkness. Yea, and he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord, until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. Nephi describes the wickedness of the Gentiles at the time the testimony of the Nephite whispers out of the dust to restore the original message of the gospel. At this time there will be many churches preaching the wisdom of men rather than the gospel of Christ. As a result, they will be bitterly quarreling among themselves and many will have entered into secret combinations to acquire control over the people by deception and the threat or actual commission of murder. By these devices, Satan binds them down and engages them in works of darkness rather than the light of the gospel. For behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. He doeth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. Behold, doth he cry unto any, saying, 
depart from me? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he saith, Come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, buy milk and honey, without money and without price. Behold, hath he commanded any that they should depart out of the synagogues or out of the houses of worship? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Hath he commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he hath given it free for all men. And he hath commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance. Behold, hath the Lord commanded any that they should not partake of his goodness? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But all men are privileged the one like unto the other, and none are forbidden. In these verses, Nephi emphasizes the difference between Satan's program and that of the Lord. The Savior invites us to come to him and excludes none. The Lord's plan offers salvation to all without charge. All he asks of the masses of humanity is repentance. There are no classes or people with special privileges among the people of the Lord. They are all invited to come and partake. He commandeth that there shall be no priestcrafts. For behold, priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world, that they may get gain and praise of the world. But they seek not the welfare of Zion. In this verse, Nephi defines the abomination of priestcraft. He says it exists where men preach for fame and gain to lavish upon themselves. They are not the ones who seek to build up the welfare of Zion, but only the embellishment of themselves. Behold, the Lord hath forbidden this thing. Wherefore the Lord God hath given a commandment that all men should have charity, which charity is love. And except they should have charity, they were nothing. Wherefore, if they should have charity, they would not suffer the laborer in Zion to perish, but the laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion. For if they labor for money, they shall perish. Nephi declares that the motivation for preaching the gospel must be for the love of the Father's children. God's servants are those who go forth in a spirit of charity. Nephi says that those who labor for money shall perish. And again the Lord God hath commanded that men should not murder, that they should not lie, that they should not steal, that they should not take the name of the Lord their God in vain, that they should not envy, that they should not have malice, that they should not contend one with another, that they should not commit whoredoms, and that they should do none of these things, for whoso doeth them shall perish. For none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men, and he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. Nephi now itemizes the principal features of the Ten Commandments. 
Men should not murder, steal, profane God's name, commit adultery, lie, or have malice toward one's neighbors. Then Nephi pronounces the all-encompassing invitation of God to partake of the blessings he has prepared for his children. Nephi says, quote, He inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. The Jews were chosen in the preexistence for their valiance, whereas the Gentiles were the non-covenant spirits. But here on earth they are equal, and all have an equal chance to go to the highest degree of glory. Second Nephi chapter 27 Nephi is now preparing to comment on the 29th chapter of Isaiah. He is excited about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and the restoration of the gospel in the latter days. But both he and Isaiah saw in vision how wicked the whole world would become before the restoration of the gospel occurred. But behold, in the last days, or in the days of the Gentiles, yea, behold, all the nations of the Gentiles, and also the Jews, both those who shall come upon this land, and those who shall be upon other lands, yea, even upon all the lands of the earth, Behold, they will be drunken with iniquity and all manner of abominations. It was also difficult for Nephi to discuss the day of the Gentiles and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon without proclaiming some of the judgments of God that would be poured out upon the wicked in that dispensation. And when that day shall come, they shall be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake, and with a great noise, and with storm, and with tempest, and with the flame of devouring fire, and all the nations that fight against Zion, and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision, yea, it shall be unto them even as unto a hungry man which dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty, or like unto a thirsty man which dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. Yea, even so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Nephi says that the wicked may not realize it, but they will be in such a state of apostasy and of wickedness that their senses will be spiritually stunned, almost as they were in a mental stupor. For behold, all ye that doeth iniquity, stay yourselves and wonder, for ye shall cry out and cry, yea, ye shall be drunken, but not with wine, ye shall stagger, but not with strong drink, for behold, the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, for behold, ye have closed your eyes, and ye have rejected the prophets, and your rulers and the seers hath he covered because of your iniquity. Now Nephi is ready to tell what both he and Isaiah had seen in vision. The worldwide condition of iniquity and sinfulness was shocking to both of them. And it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall bring forth unto you the words of a book, and they shall be the words of them which have slumbered. Now Nephi begins talking about the words of the great book which were written by the ancient Nephites 
at the height of their righteousness, but to have long since passed away. Therefore the book will speak from the dust to proclaim the gospel as it was practiced by the Nephites, people who for centuries have slumbered in their graves. And behold, the book shall be sealed, and in the book shall be a revelation from God, from the beginning of the world to the ending thereof. The peculiar thing about the Book of Mormon is that part of it is sealed. The sealed portion contains a prophetic history of the world which was recorded by an ancient prophet. It tells the whole history of mankind from the time of Adam down to the end of the millennium, all part of God's foreknowledge of things to come. Wherefore, because of the things which are sealed up, the things which are sealed shall not be delivered in the day of the wickedness and abominations of the people. Wherefore, the book shall be kept from them. The contents of the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon will be so sacred that the Lord will not allow it to be either translated or published during the days of Gentile wickedness. It will not come forth until a time of righteousness. But the book shall be delivered unto a man, and he shall deliver the words of the book, which are the words of those who have slumbered in the dust, and he shall deliver these words unto another. But the words which are sealed he shall not deliver, neither shall he deliver the book. For the book shall be sealed by the power of God, and the revelation which was sealed shall be kept in the book until the own due time of the Lord that they may come forth, for behold, they reveal all things from the foundation of the world unto the end thereof. And the day cometh that the words of the book which were sealed shall be read upon the housetops, and they shall be read by the power of Christ, and all things shall be revealed unto the children of men which ever have been among the children of men, and which ever will be, even unto the end of the earth. Wherefore at that day, when the book shall be delivered unto the man of whom I have spoken, the book shall be hid from the eyes of the world, that the eyes of none shall behold it, save it be that three witnesses shall behold it, by the power of God, besides him to whom the book shall be delivered. And they shall testify to the truth of the book, and the things therein. In verse 9 we learn that the unsealed portion of the Book of Mormon will be translated. To accomplish this, the entire record will be delivered to a man who turns out to be Joseph Smith. Then Nephi observed that Joseph Smith will not turn the record over to another person who turns out to be Martin Harris, but he will only give him the words of the transcription of the characters from the unsealed portion of the plates, together with the inspired translation thereof. In verse 10, Nephi emphasizes that Joseph Smith will not give Martin Harris either the sealed part of the record nor the record itself, only the characters or words copied from the record and the translation. In verse 12, Nephi reveals an exciting aspect of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. He said there will be three people besides Joseph Smith who will get to see the sacred record and hear the declaration of God himself that it is true. 
It is this 12th verse which seems to have induced three of Joseph Smith's associates to later plead for the privilege of being those three special witnesses to the reality of this great record. The Lord responded to their pleas, and these three turned out to be Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. The brief biography of each of the three witnesses is set forth in the Treasures of the Book of Mormon, Volume 1, beginning on page 275. What happened to these men when they were allowed to become special witnesses is described by David Whitmer as recorded in a book by Preston Nibley entitled The Witnesses of the Book of Mormon. In this book, we are told that when Joseph and the three witnesses first prayed to the Lord, nothing happened. Finally, Martin Harris, who had lost the first 116 pages of the translation, felt the Lord was still offended by him, and therefore he separated himself a considerable distance so he could continue to plead with the Lord for forgiveness. After Martin Harris departed, David Whitmer says, quote, Joseph and Oliver and I were sitting on a log when we were overshadowed by a light more glorious than that of the sun. In the midst of this light, but a few feet from us, appeared a table upon which were many golden plates, also the sword of Laban, and the directors, that is, the Lyona. I saw them as plain as I see you now, and distinctly heard the voice of the Lord declaring that the records of the plates of the Book of Mormon were translated by the gift and power of God. The angel stood by the table and invited the witnesses to examine each of the Nephite artifacts. David Whitmer then described the gold plates. He said they appeared to be of gold, about six by nine inches in size, about as thick as a parchment, a great many in number, and bound together like the leaves of a book by massive rings passing through the back edges. When the vision was over, Joseph went to find Martin Harris and began praying with him. Very shortly, the same vision appeared again. Martin Harris later stated that the angel stood on the opposite side of the table on which were the plates, the sword of Laban, the interpreters, and so forth. Martin Harris took the plates in his hands and turned the sheets one by one. The angel declared that the Book of Mormon was correctly translated, translated by the power of God, not of man, and that it contained the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Nephites. Joseph then returned to the house, and his mother says, quote, Joseph threw himself down beside me and exclaimed, Father, mother, you do not know how happy I am. The Lord has now caused the plates to be shown to three more besides myself. They have seen an angel. He has testified to them, and they will have to bear witness to the truth of what I have said. Unquote. This is in the book written by Lucy Mack Smith, the mother of Joseph Smith, page 139. And there is none other which shall view it, save it be a few according to the will of God, to bear testimony of his word unto the children of men. For the Lord God hath said that the words of the faithful should speak as if it were from the dead. Wherefore, the Lord God will proceed to bring forth the words of the book, and in the mouth of as many witnesses as seemeth him good will he establish his word, 
and woe be unto him that rejecteth the word of God. In addition to the three witnesses, the few others who were allowed to see the plates included Christian Whitmer, Jacob Whitmer, Peter Whitmer, Jr., John Whitmer, Hiram Page, Joseph Smith, Sr., Hiram Smith, and Samuel H. Smith. So not only Joseph Smith was allowed to see and handle the precious gold plates, but so were eleven others. But behold, it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall say unto him to whom he shall deliver the book, Take these words which are not sealed, and deliver them to another, that he may show them unto the learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And the learned shall say, Bring hither the book, and I will read them. And now, because of the glory of the world, and to get gain, will they say this, and not for the glory of God. And the man shall say, I cannot bring the book, for it is sealed. Then shall the learned say, I cannot read it. In these four verses we have the instructions of the Lord to Joseph Smith in order to fulfill Isaiah's prediction that the writings of this book would be submitted to certain modern linguists for their evaluation. Isaiah said the prophet to whom the Book of Mormon would be entrusted would be delivered to another, which proved to be Martin Harris, and he would take it to a learned linguist and ask him to read it. Martin Harris took the transcription from the plates to Columbia University and asked the famous scholar Professor Anton, sometimes pronounced Anton, to evaluate the transcription which had been copied and translated by Joseph Smith from the plates. When Martin Harris reached Columbia University, here's what he said happened. Quote, I went to the city of New York and presented the characters which had been translated with the translation thereof to Professor Charles Anton, a gentleman celebrated for his literary attainments. Professor Anton stated that the translation was correct, more so than any he had seen translated from the Egyptian. He gave me a certificate certifying to the people of Palmyra that they were true characters and that the translation of such of them as had been translated was also correct. I took the certificate and put it in my pocket. I was just leaving the house when Mr. Anton called me back and asked how the young man found out there were gold plates in the place where he found them. I answered that an angel of God had revealed it to him. He then said to me, Now let me see that certificate. I accordingly took it out of my pocket and gave it to him. Then he took it and tore it to pieces, saying there was no such thing as ministering angels, and if I would bring the plates to him, he would translate them. I informed him that part of the plates were sealed, and I was forbidden to bring them. He replied, I cannot read a sealed book. I left him and went to Dr. Mitchell, who sanctioned what Professor Anton had said respecting both the characters and the translation. Unquote. Without realizing it, Professor Anton had said the exact words Isaiah and Nephi had predicted he would say some 2,600 years earlier. Wherefore it shall come to pass that the Lord God will deliver again the book and the words thereof to him that is not learned. And the man that is not learned shall say, I am not learned. 
For Joseph Smith to record its contents of the unsealed portion of the gold plates, it was necessary for God to perform a revelatory miracle to gain some idea of just how uneducated and unskilled the young prophet was at this stage of his development, we have the following rather shocking statement from his wife. She said, quote, Joseph Smith as a young man could neither write nor dictate a coherent and well-ordered letter, let alone dictate a book like the Book of Mormon. And though I was an active participant in the scenes that transpired, was present during the translation of the plates, and had cognizance of the scenes that transpired, it is marvelous to me, a marvel and a wonder, as much as to anyone else. My belief is that the Book of Mormon is of divine authenticity. I have not the slightest doubt of it, unquote. And this is taken from witnesses of the Book of Mormon, previously quoted, pages 28 to 29. Then shall the Lord God say unto him, the learned shall not read them, for they have rejected them, and I am able to do mine own work. Wherefore thou shalt read the words which I shall give unto thee. Touch not the things which are sealed, for I will bring them forth in mine own due time. For I will show unto the children of men that I am able to do mine own work. The indignation of the Lord is reflected in verse 20. He will not allow the learned to work on these plates, for they have rejected them. Instead, the Lord will reveal to Joseph Smith the perfect text of the Book of Mormon as it is translated into English. However, he warns Joseph Smith not to attempt to use his great gift on the sealed portion of the plates, because they are not to come forth until the due time of the Lord. Wherefore, when thou hast read the words which I have commanded thee, and obtained the witnesses which I have promised unto thee, then shalt thou seal up the book again, and hide it up unto me, that I may preserve the words which thou hast not read, until I shall see fit in mine own wisdom to reveal all things unto the children of men. For behold, I am God, and I am a God of miracles, and I will show unto the world that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I work not among the children of men, save it be according to their faith. Notice how meticulous the Lord was in protecting these plates. After finishing the translation of the unsealed portion of the plates, Joseph Smith was to hide them up again so they would be safely preserved until it was time to reveal the remainder of these marvelous scriptures. And again it shall come to pass that the Lord shall say unto him that shall read the words that shall be delivered him, Forasmuch as this people draw near unto me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. Therefore, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise and learned shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent shall be hid. The Book of Mormon was just the beginning of God's work. As God's work progressed, the Lord intended to gradually unfold a marvelous work and a wonder, 
we find that the coming forth of the Book of Mormon was only the beginning of the great and marvelous work God had planned for this dispensation. It would be so amazing, it would baffle the wisdom of their wisest philosophers, economists, and political scientists. And woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? And they also say, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. But behold, I will show unto them, saith the Lord of hosts, that I know all their works. For shall the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, He had no understanding? The Lord now issues an ominous warning to those who secretly plot against the work of the Lord. He knows everything they are planning, but their schemes will ultimately crumble into oblivion. But behold, saith the Lord of hosts, I will show unto the children of men that it is yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness and the meek also shall increase, and their joy shall be in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. In connection with the marvelous work and wonder which God was preparing for modern mankind, the Lord wanted people to know that in these modern times the barren waste of Lebanon and Palestine would be made to flourish once again. The deaf would be able to open their minds and hear the gospel, and the poor and the meek will finally rejoice that they have become united with the one true Lord. For assuredly, as the Lord liveth, they shall see that the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. And they that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. As the work of the Lord begins to unfold, the righteous will see the reversal of worldly affairs. The wicked will be frustrated and turned back. The shrewd schemers and business and the courts, where they make men an offender for a word, and ignore the rights of those who have been wronged will find themselves and their works consumed by the vengeance of God. Therefore thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children the work of my hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. By way of contrast, those who make their covenants with God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will break forth in rejoicing as they magnify the great truths of the gospel and have the inspired leaders of God help them escape from the darkness of the past. 
They will embrace the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives hope for the present and all futurity. 2 Nephi chapter 28 And now behold, my brethren, I have spoken unto you according as the Spirit hath constrained me. Wherefore I know that they must surely come to pass. The things which shall be written out of the book shall be of great worth unto the children of men, and especially unto our seed, which is a remnant of the house of Israel. Nephi is fascinated with the Book of Mormon, which shall come forth in the latter days, and will contain the gospel of Jesus Christ as practiced by the ancient Nephites. He is animated by the Spirit of the Lord, which has testified that everything he and Isaiah had recorded concerning the coming forth of this book will literally come to pass. Therefore, this divine record will be of great worth to Nephi's descendants. It will not only teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, but unfold before their eyes their amazing, turbulent history. For it shall come to pass in that day that the churches which are built up and not unto the Lord, when the one shall say unto the other, Behold, I, I am the Lord's, and the others shall say, I, I am the Lord's. And thus shall every one say that hath built up churches and not unto the Lord. And they shall contend one with another, and their priests shall contend one with another, and they shall teach with their learning, and deny the Holy Ghost which giveth utterance. Nephi describes in these two verses all the quarreling among the churches. This would be the tempestuous confusion among the churches that would cause Joseph Smith to plead with the Lord for guidance and result in the magnificent first vision. And they deny the power of God, the Holy One of Israel. And they say unto the people, Hearken unto us, and hear ye our precept. For behold, there is no God today, for the Lord and the Redeemer hath done his work and he hath given his power unto men. Now Nephi makes a prediction which was fulfilled in the lifetime of this present generation. Nephi said men pretending to be ministers of the gospel will preach that since Christ has performed his great mission, the power of God is now conferred upon mankind, so there is no God in heaven any longer. They will claim that there once was a God, but there is no God today because God has allowed man to become his own God. He has conferred upon man the right and responsibility to ordain his own destiny and create his own system of values. What a shock to traditional Christians to have Time magazine announce this new theory that God is dead, and we can now worship the, quote, great humanity divine, period, unquote. In other words, man now is God, and the original creator has left humanity to his own devices. This theory of so-called Christian atheism was concocted by Reverend Thomas J. Altizer of Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. He literally fulfilled Nephi's prophecy, and the God-is-dead cult swept like a wave among the cynical elements of higher education. Students and faculty at some universities wore huge buttons declaring, quote, God is dead, unquote. 
At that time, I was lecturing in New England where the fad had really caught on. So I had a large button made up of my own, which said, quote, My God is alive. Sorry about yours. <laughs> Behold, hearken ye unto my precept. If they shall say there is a miracle wrought by the hand of the Lord, believe it not. For this day he is not a God of miracles. He hath done his work. Based on this same kind of irrational and befuddled thinking that Reverend Altizer had concocted, they began to proclaim that since God had done his work, there could be no more miracles. Yet it was a most astonishing miracle that Nephi saw a vision nearly 2,500 years ago that a servant of the adversary would proclaim, quote, Hearken unto us, and hear ye our precept, for there is no God today, for the Lord and the Redeemer hath done his work and has given his power unto man. Unquote. Yea, and there shall be many which shall say, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and it shall be well with us. And there shall also be many which shall say, Eat, drink, and be merry. Nevertheless, fear God. He will justify in committing a little sin. Yea, lie a little, take the advantage of one because of his words, dig a pit for thy neighbor, there is no harm in this, and do all these things, for tomorrow we die. And if it so be that we are guilty, God will beat us with a few stripes, and at last we shall be saved in the kingdom of God. The abandonment of gospel principles has always exposed mankind to the passion and gross appetites of the flesh. Nephi described in these verses what he saw in his vision. He says he saw that men knew they were sinning, but justified it on the theory that God is soft-hearted. So he will only punish the sinner with a few stripes, and then they will be saved in the kingdom of God right along with those who have not sinned. Yea, and there shall be many which shall teach after this manner false and vain and foolish doctrines, and shall be puffed up in their hearts, and shall seek deep to hide their counsels from the Lord, and their works shall be in the dark. And the blood of the saints shall cry from the ground against them. These verses clearly indicate that the wickedness of the people at the time when the Book of Mormon comes forth will cause the blood of the saints to cry from the ground against them. No doubt Nephi saw the death and suffering of the saints as they were driven from Kirtland, from Missouri, from Nauvoo, and over 6,000 of them died as they struggled toward the mountains. Yea, they have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted because of pride and because of false teachers and false doctrine. Their churches have become corrupted and their churches are lifted up because of pride. They are puffed up. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing and they persecute the meek and the poor in heart because in their pride they are puffed up. They wear stiff necks and high heads. Yea, and because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, 
They have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err, because they are taught by the precepts of men. We observe that Nephi continually mentions immorality as a prominent factor among the abominations of the people. In the 20th century, two names stand out in history as a major promoter of flagrant immorality. One was Sigmund Freud, F-R-E-U-D, the inventor of psychoanalysis. His theory was based on the necessity for people to accommodate their natural impulses or instincts, particularly the sex drive. He said the moral restraints against sex was the principal cause of mental illness. The obvious implication was that if you wanted to avoid mental illness, sexual indulgence was to be encouraged. It was a necessity. There was a strong upsurge of reckless sexual promiscuity as a result of this totally fraudulent distortion of medical science. Meanwhile, another man who claimed to be a scientist picked up where Freud left off and created a cultural shock even greater than Freud. His name was Alfred C. Kinsey, K-I-N-S-E-Y, and he pretended to conduct for the first time in history the study of human sexual behavior. His statistics purported to prove that at every level of American society, almost universal sexual indulgence had replaced the original moral abstinence of the past. One magazine headlined the Kinsey message by saying, quote, everybody's doing it, why are you missing out, unquote. The Kinsey reports were so fabricated and distorted that by 1990, Dr. Judith A. Reisman and her associates published a book called, quote, Kinsey, Sex, and Fraud, The Indoctrination of a People, unquote. And by 1992, another book came out against Freud. It was called, quote, Freudian Fraud, The Malignant Effect of Freud's Theory on American Thought and Culture, unquote. Many people have no idea what a national disaster resulted from the propaganda of these two men. Dr. Reisman summarizes her first comprehensive study of the consequences of their lecherous campaign. She says, quote, Socially, the sexual revolution has wrought upheaval. There are about 11 to 12 million sexually active adolescents in the U.S. About 860,000 teenagers will become pregnant this year. 23,000 age 14 or younger. More than 40% of all pregnancies in the 15 to 19-year-olds will be aborted, and 60% of girls under 15 will have abortions. Today, there will be 230,000 births per year to women under 20 who are both poor and unmarried, unquote. Oh, the wise and the learned and the rich that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts, and all those who preach false doctrines, and all those who commit whoredoms and pervert the right way of the Lord. Woe! Woe, woe be unto them, saith the Lord God Almighty, for they shall be thrust down to hell. Nephi leaves no doubt as to the wrath of God, which will be heaped out upon those who commit whoredoms and pervert the right way of the Lord. He pronounced three woes upon them and said they would be thrust down to hell. 
Now Nephi describes what he saw happening to the corrupt society in the latter days, in which those who are ripening in iniquity shall perish. Woe unto them that turn aside the just for a thing of naught, and revile against that which is good, and say that is of no worth. For the day shall come that the Lord God will speedily visit the inhabitants of the earth, and in that day that they are fully ripe in iniquity, they shall perish. But behold, if the inhabitants of the earth shall repent of their wickedness and abominations, they shall not be destroyed, saith the Lord of hosts. But behold, that great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth, must tumble to the earth, and great must be the fall thereof. Of course, the Lord says in verse 17 that those who turn from their wicked ways and repent can be saved. In verse 18, he says that in the midst of all of this wickedness, Nephi says, any who repent and search after the Lord shall not be destroyed. However, he says, there is no hope for those who belong to the great and abominable church of the devil. It will crumble to pieces and its followers will be destroyed. For the kingdom of the devil must shake. They which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance, or the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains, and they be stirred up to anger and perish. For behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men, and stir them up to anger against that which is good, and others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security, that they will say, All is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls, and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. Nephi saw Lucifer using two different approaches to gain power and defeat God's plan for human happiness. One approach was to get the wicked practices of Satan raging in the lives and hearts of as many people as possible. His other approach was to pacify the followers of God's plan of salvation by lulling them to sleep with a sense of carnal security. The idea was to make them think that they can relax because all is well in Zion, all is well. And behold, others he flattereth away, and telleth them there is no hell, and he saith unto them, I am no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears, until he grasps them with his awful chains, from whence there is no deliverance. Yea, they are grasped with death and hell. And death and hell and the devil, and all that have been seized therewith, must stand before the throne of God, and be judged according to their works, from whence they must go into the place prepared for them, even a lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment. Yet a third technique of Satan is to whisper into the ears of those who think they are learned, and tell them that there is no hell, there is no devil, therefore there is no judgment, there is no condemnation for their wicked and depraved indulgences in sin. However, Nephi saw that all these people would be trapped in the snares of death and hell. 
After they died, he saw them consigned to the regions where the wicked must pay for their sins. But he saw these spirits writhing in pain as the Father's spirit was withdrawn from them, and they were thrust into what seemed like a lake of fire and brimstone until they had paid the uttermost farthing for their sins. Therefore woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. Woe be unto him that crieth, All is well. Yea, woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men, and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yea, woe be unto him that saith, We have received, and we need no more. And in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. Woe be unto him that shall say, We have received the word of God, and we need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. In these verses, Nephi expresses his lamentation for all those who think they are learned and have greater wisdom than God. This includes those who reject the Book of Mormon and the revelations of the latter days. For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom, for unto him that receiveth I will give more. And from them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. Woe be unto the Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts, for notwithstanding I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day, they will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me. For mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. Nephi realizes that those who receive the gospel in the latter days will receive it line upon line, precept upon precept. Gradually they will increase in knowledge, and God will reveal to them even more. Nephi says that no matter how wicked the Gentiles become, he will put his arm around them and accept them if they will just repent and return to the Lord. Second Nephi chapter 29 In the previous chapter, Nephi expressed his revolting reaction to the wicked Gentiles, which he had seen in vision on the promised land at the time the Book of Mormon would come forth. Now he is ready to tell about his jubilant feelings toward those who respond to the gospel message when they hear it. But behold, there shall be many at that day when I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them, that I may remember my covenants which I have made unto the children of men, that I may set my hand again the second time to recover my people which are of the house of Israel 
and also that I may remember the promises which I have made unto thee, Nephi, and also unto thy father, that I would remember your seed, and that the words of your seed should proceed forth out of my mouth unto your seed, and my words shall hiss forth unto the ends of the earth, for a standard unto my people, which are of the house of Israel. Nephi says that in the beginning there will only be a few, but with the passing of time there will be many who will rejoice to receive the restored gospel. And it will not be just for people in the promised land. The message will gradually spread out and go to the ends of the earth. It will reach out to share the message of the gospel to all of the children of Israel wherever they are. And because my words shall hiss forth, many of the Gentiles shall say, A Bible, a Bible, we have got a Bible, and there cannot be any more Bible. But thus saith the Lord God, O fools, they shall have a Bible, and it shall proceed forth from the Jews, mine ancient covenant people. And what thank they the Jews for the Bible which they receive from them? Yea, what do the Gentiles mean? Do they remember the travails, and the labors, and the pains of the Jews, and their diligence unto me in bringing forth salvation unto the Gentiles? O ye Gentiles, have ye remembered the Jews, mine ancient covenant people? Nay, but ye have cursed them, and have hated them, and have not sought to recover them. But behold, I will return all these things upon your own heads, for I, the Lord, have not forgotten my people. Thou fool that shall say a Bible, we have got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. Have ye obtained a Bible, save it were by the Jews? Here is a famous section of the Book of Mormon. God anticipates the arrogant presumption of many who think the Bible is the entire sum total of everything God intends to reveal. Because this would be the fundamental belief of many churches, they would react to the Book of Mormon as though it were blasphemy to suggest that God had a whole dispensation of his gospel among the Nephites in America, entirely separate from the people in the Holy Land. They will say, quote, a Bible, a Bible, we've got a Bible, and there cannot be any more Bible, unquote. Of course, when the Book of Mormon was first published, this declaration came pouring down from a thousand pulpits. Indeed, they did cry out, a Bible, a Bible, we have got a Bible, and there can be no more Bible. But God fires a strong rebuke against these Gentiles. Here they are boasting about having the Bible, but have they ever thanked the Jews for the Bible? They wouldn't have any Bible if it weren't for the Jews. And have the Gentiles been grateful to the Jews for this sacred record? No, they have not. They have driven the Jews, persecuted the Jews, put thousands of them in gas chambers. How dare they boast about having a Bible when they have done all these things to the people who gave them the Bible? Know ye not that there are more nations than one? Know ye not that I, the Lord your God, have created all men? and that I remember those who are upon the isles of the sea, and that I rule in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, and I bring forth my word unto the children of men, yea, even upon all the nations of the earth. 
Wherefore murmur ye, because that ye shall receive more of my word? Know ye not that the testimony of two nations is a witness unto you that I am God, that I remember one nation like unto another? Wherefore I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another. And when the two nations shall run together, the testimony of the two nations shall run together also. God has no apology for revealing his gospel to more than one nation in addition to the Jews. It is by this means that he raises up more than one witness. He reveals the same things to different nations, and when their respective testimonies come together, it will result in the nations themselves uniting and coming together. And I do this that I may prove unto many that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I speak forth my words according to mine own pleasure. And because that I have spoken one word, ye need not suppose that I cannot speak another, for my work is not yet finished. Neither shall it be until the end of man, neither from that time henceforth and forever. Wherefore, because that ye have a Bible, ye need not suppose that it contains all my words? Neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written. For I command all men, both in the east and in the west, and in the north and in the south, and in the islands of the sea, that they shall write the words which I speak unto them. For out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world every man according to their works, according to that which is written. The fact that God reveals the same thing to different nations is further proof that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has spoken to many nations, and when he has revealed the gospel to them, they have written it in their books, and out of those books each nation will be judged. For behold, I shall speak unto the Jews, and they shall write it, and I shall also speak unto the Nephites, and they shall write it. And I shall also speak unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write it. And I shall also speak unto all nations of the earth, and they shall write it. And it shall come to pass that the Jews shall have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews, and the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel and the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews. And it shall come to pass that my people, which are of the house of Israel, shall be gathered home unto the lands of their possessions, and my word also shall be gathered in one. And I will show unto them that fight against my word and against my people, who are of the house of Israel, that I am God and that I covenanted with Abraham that I would remember his seed forever. It is marvelous the way God has raised up prophets wherever the children of Israel have been sufficiently righteous to have prophets. These prophets have written down the revelations of God in their scriptures. Someday these various fragments of the tribes of Israel will come together, and they will bring their scriptures with them. By this means, God will prove that the covenants between God and Abraham have been literally fulfilled. Even when the seed of Abraham has been scattered, God has remembered them and blessed them.
Second Nephi chapter 30. In his vision, Nephi saw that America would be cleansed and the wicked Gentiles would be eliminated from the face of the Western Hemisphere. This is the first time we have a clear reference to the cleansing of America. However, Nephi wants to make a point concerning those who survived the cleansing of America. So he says, And now behold, my beloved brethren, I would speak unto you. For I, Nephi, would not suffer that ye should suppose that ye are more righteous than the Gentiles shall be. For behold, except ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall all likewise perish. And because of the words which have been spoken, ye need not suppose that the Gentiles are utterly destroyed. For behold, I say unto you that as many of the Gentiles as will repent are the covenant people of the Lord, and as many of the Jews as will not repent shall be cast off. For the Lord covenanteth with none, save it be with them that repent and believe in his Son, who is the Holy One of Israel. It will be observed that Nephi is addressing all of these revelations in this part of his writings to his, quote, beloved brethren, unquote. He's talking to his descendants and the descendants of Laman and Lemuel in the latter days. On 34 different occasions, Nephi has referred to his beloved brethren of the latter days. In his sweeping vision of many centuries, he has seen them, watched their persecutions and suffering during fratricidal warfare, and rejoiced as he saw their efforts to spread the gospel eventually around the world. However, he has a word of warning for the children of Israel. They are no better than the Gentiles unless they repent and embrace the covenants of the gospel. If they do not do this, they will perish during the cleansing of America right along with the wicked Gentiles. And now I would prophesy somewhat more concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. For after the book of which I have spoken shall come forth and be written unto the Gentiles, and sealed up again unto the Lord, there shall be many which shall believe the words which are written, and they shall carry them forth unto the remnant of our seed. And then shall the remnant of our seed know concerning us how that we came out from Jerusalem, and that they are descendants of the Jews. Nephi says the coming forth of the Book of Mormon will allow this sacred record to be circulated among the Gentiles, and then it will reach the remnants of the Lamanites and Nephites. This will allow them to learn about the covenants which the Lord made with their forefathers. Nephi says it will also let them know they are descendants of the Jews. Of course, they are also descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. But Nephi wants them to know that any blessings pronounced upon the Jews who join the church will also come upon them. And the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be declared among them. Wherefore they shall be restored unto the knowledge of their fathers, and also to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which was had among their fathers. And then shall they rejoice, for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God, and their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes. And many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a pure and a delightsome people. The restoration of the gospel will give the remnants of the Lamanites and Nephites a knowledge of their ancestors, who were ministered to by Jesus Christ. 
The scales of centuries of darkness and apostasy will fall away from them, so they will become as delightsome as their ancestors. And it shall come to pass that the Jews which are scattered also shall begin to believe in Christ, and they shall begin to gather in upon the face of the land, and as many as shall believe in Christ shall also become a delightsome people. And it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall commence his work among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, to bring about the restoration of his people upon the earth. And with righteousness shall the Lord God judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. For the time speedily cometh, that the Lord God shall cause a great division among the people, and the wicked will he destroy, and he will spare his people, yea, even if it so be that he must destroy the wicked by fire, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. As the Lord raises up his own people in the latter days, they will begin to spread God's law and the ideas of the gospel wherever they go. And gradually people will notice that God distinguishes between the good and the bad. They see the righteous being blessed and the wicked being destroyed. As the wicked turn against the saints, the Lord says he will preserve the righteous, even if necessary, by fire. And then shall the wolf dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Now from these verses we learn that the destruction of the wicked described in the previous verses was the cleansing of the earth just before the millennium. So it was a complete cleansing by fire as described by Malachi when he said, quote, The day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be as stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn as an oven, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. And that's in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Then Nephi describes conditions as they will exist during the Lord's millennial reign. Not only will there be peace among the people, but even among animal life, and a knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. Wherefore the things of all nations shall be made known. Yea, all things shall be made known unto the children of men. There is nothing which is secret, save it shall be revealed. There is no work of darkness, save it shall be made manifest in the light. And there is nothing which is sealed upon the earth, save it shall be loosed. Wherefore all things which have been revealed unto the children of men shall at that day be revealed. And Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more, 
for a long time. And now, my beloved brethren, I must make an end of my sayings. Prior to the ushering in of the millennium, there is going to be a great vision of the history of the world. We will see how the earth was created, and that is promised in Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verse 33. And then we will see the history of the human family a thousand years at a time. And that's promised in Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verses 108 to 110. All of the writings of the prophets will be revealed, even the secret writings that have been sealed and hidden up. It will be truly a glorious day. Even Satan will be bound and not loosed until the end of the millennium. If you liked this podcast and would like access to other materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find them online at skousenlibrary.com.